on to the next matchup. This one could be interesting. Let's start with Tenebra, and I am doing the honors for introductions here. This film was written and directed by the great Dario Argento, released in 1982, and it seriously has fewer reviews on IMDb than Vikram Wheat's Devil's Pass. It stars Anthony Franciosa, Daria Nicolidi, the great Daria Nicolidi, and, yes, the man, the myth, the legend, John Saxon. For the first time, I've uh, taken a cue from you guys, and I've, I've written my own plot summary rather than using IMDb or Wikipedia. Here goes. When best-selling thriller writer Peter Neal comes to Rome on a book tour, he finds a deranged fan is murdering women in the area to send him a message. Independent of the police, the author begins his own investigation, putting himself and those around him in danger. Before I get to some backstory on the production, I'll say that I watched this for the first time in years last night, and yes, I finished the movie. It raised some relevant thoughts about its place in the tournament thematically. I was struck by the fact that this film really takes on the ideas of hate crimes and misogyny, albeit from an early 80s lens. It also depicts a world that is a true minefield for women, where danger lurks around every corner. The murderous psychology depicted here encompasses the hatred of quote-unquote perversion, long a code word for same-sex relationships, as well as the misogyny that stems from childhood rejection and humiliation, the jealousy of others, sexual power, etc. I dare say that by the film's ending, it has passed judgment on the characters who are either cavalier about these issues or perpetuating them, even if it lingers on the details of what it's fair to say is the real perversity, which is the enjoyment of victimization. But I won't damn Tenebrae for its content, and I am here to praise its memorable style and impact. Some interesting tidbits for you. The word Tenebrae is a Latin-slash-Italian word meaning darkness or shadows. Quite appropriate. Our star, Anthony Franciosa, who I did not know from Adam, was an Oscar nominee for Best Actor. 1957's A Hatful of Rain. He was also in A Face in the Crowd, which was a movie that film studies majors have spilled a lot of ink over. Looks like his career slowed down a little, unlike the police car going by. It does look like his career slowed down a little bit after that, to quote Jeff Lebowski. Other tidbits, Quentin Tarantino is called The Murder of Jane via Axe, his favorite on-screen death scene of all time for its intense imagery, including the key moment where she paints the wall with blood. This is the first movie I've introduced this season of the podcast that has extensive film student-worthy analysis on Wikipedia. I did not have time to read all of it, but I think it's certainly a a compliment. Uh, Here's a couple of interesting excerpts. The film has been described as exploring themes of dualism and sexual aberration and has strong metafictional elements. Some commentators consider Tenebrae to be a direct reaction by Argento to criticism of his previous work, most especially his depictions of the murder of women. He has also apparently drawn upon his own experience being stalked and harassed by obsessed fans. He had anecdotes about it that were reasonably chilling if you want to dig deeper into that. And according to James Gracie, author of a book about Argento's work with Tenebrae, 
Argento explores some of his most reoccurring themes and preoccupations, such as Freudian psychology, sexual deviancy, repressed trauma, voyeurism, audience spectatorship, and the fetishization of violence and death. There is so, so much going on with this movie, but I will leave it there for now. Let's introduce Haunts. That's, that's also my, my task tonight. A very different movie, very different time and place. I mean, yeah, these two films could not be more different, but uh, they are up against each other nonetheless. Released in 2019, Haunt was directed by Iowa's own Scott Beck and Brian Woods. Brian Woods was born in Davenport, Iowa, and raised in the neighboring community of Bettendorf. I lived in Davenport, Iowa, and went to Bettendorf High School. I was there for 10 years myself. He met... Scott Beck, who uh, was also raised in Bettendorf, they went to high school together, presumably at my high school. I think I've heard that before. Right now, they've just adapted Stephen King's The Boogeyman for the big screen. It's not out at the time of this recording. That was, for me, the scariest short story in Night Shift. And I've always wanted to see a great adaptation of it. I think these guys are capable of it. They're best known as the scribes responsible for the spec that would become John Krasinski and Emily Blunt's smash hit, A Quiet Place. All right, this film stars Katie Stevens and Will Bretain. Here's the logline courtesy of IMDb. On Halloween, a group of friends encounter an extreme haunted house that promises to feed on their darkest fears. The night turns deadly as they come to the horrifying realization that some nightmares are real. Though set in Carbondale, Illinois, the film was shot in Kentucky and at Augustana College in Rock Island, part of the Quad Cities that I called home from the ages of 8 to 18. While the movie did not achieve box office success, it was Shudder's number one premiere of that year, and it has received generally positive reviews. It began popping up on the annual list of movies to watch at Halloween, and for good reason, I think. I've watched it maybe two and a half times once more recently for for this show, I, I think it's kind of the inverse of Hellfest, which is also in our tournament, in that uh, here the haunted house is the threat. And in that one, it's not, but someone who buys a ticket is. So it's kind of interesting. The movie is pretty rough. Not a lot of punches are pulled here. There's at least one moment of Terrifier-level gore, and that's not even counting the wicked stepping-on-nails gag. Initially, the movie twists itself into knots, trying to maintain the possibility that this isn't a deadly situation, or maybe not all of the employees are bad, perhaps the deaths we see are faked, and yet real harm is done to two women in the group, and unmistakably on purpose. That said, I think the game that Haunt is playing with the audience mostly works in the push-pull of these conflicting possibilities. At least it keeps us off balance. And throughout the running time, with each meaningful escalation, each clear sign that this is bad or going from bad to worse, each of those moments is a skillfully conceived and executed little crescendo. For example, without getting into spoilers, there's a kill with a pitchfork that encapsulates that idea perfectly. A few things gnaw at me down the stretch of the movie, little logic questions and quibbles. There's a gun on the mantelpiece since Act 1 that, when it finally fires, is a bit of a dud. And I'm referring to the abusive boyfriend thing. And if you guys remember something, chime in somewhere along the line. But I feel like there was another movie recently that played out the same dynamic, right down to the lack of payoff when he shows up in the end. But uh, I... 
the same the movie with Sam Raimi in it. Yes. It yes, Intruder. Intruder, yes. Intruder has the abusive boyfriend like subplot set up in Act One. And, like, he shows up to like <laughs> to no avail in Iron Grace. Anyways, so I'm sorry. Yeah, no, thank you. That's I I'm glad somebody remembered. Um, and, and it, it it could even be more than that. Uh, it feels like something that 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 was in the zeitgeist. But I'll I'll leave it there for now. Yeah, Rich, since uh you kicked us off in in response, uh, what do you think of Haunt? I know. There's some humorous confusion about why this movie is even in the tournament, and nobody nobody will raise their hand and say I'm the reason this movie's in the tournament. But I, for one, am glad that it is. I mean, it clearly seems like it's you that put this thing in the <laughs> tournament. I mean, I, I definitely I, I feel pretty certain that you did that you put this up here, and especially given the like nostalgic trip down memory lane that you took during your write up, now I'm like convinced of it. <laughs> That this thing is definitely something that's been like embedded in your in your psyche. Maybe, uh, you know, which uh, I'm not I'm not sad about. I mean, like Hunt definitely fits into that newer sort of like low key kind of like slasher. I don't know how much this movie is going to like is going to stick with me in an incredible way, I, especially given that like I feel like the extreme haunted house plotline has has played in a number of movies in recent years, which is not this movie's fault. I know that there have been at least a handful, although the one that stands out to me is The Houses That October Built, I think was the name, the name of it. And I will say that this movie is much better than that, hmm. um, at least in, in terms of how I remember it. I've seen a movie where they like wanted to turn it into a haunted house, but they never get there because it's so fucking haunted that they never even get to open. I think it was something like Hell House LLC or something like that. Yeah. Sorry, yes, that's Hell House LLC. That's a, I actually found that not bad. Yeah. Uh, the sequel's pretty good, too. Huh, I, I didn't see the second it. one. But, you know, I, I will say there's there's a lot to like here. Uh, your analysis was much better. My my note was that this is either a low-budget Hellfest or a big-budget Funhouse, depending <laughs> on where you see our in our competition. But I, I think that your your commentary on, like, the inverse of, like, how the story and characters are playing out is, is, uh, is much more insightful. There's a lot of good details in here. I mean, A, like, it's fun... They pull off the escape room concept, in some cases quite literally, but yeah. like really like throughout the course of the film, like the way that they progress you from, from room to room is honestly just fun to watch. And I think that at a certain point, it does get a little tedious, especially in like the back half of the, of the second act. Like it felt like this could be um, shorter, but like ultimately like this movie is, is definitely serviceable and fun. I think that the baddies in this movie who inhabit the, the haunted house, like there, there's one that really engages with the characters and starts talking to them. And I love the, the guy's delivery overall, like just his voice from like the first time he spoke has this like nice, warm, sort of even tone to it where like, you know, that you know whether this character is, is good or bad, but like ultimately like you're kind of willing to like play along even when the characters make like bad decisions to, um, you know, to, to take their directions. But, like, he's very human. And then, like, as we get, you know, and I'm not going to get into to spoilers, but, like, as you get into reveals in terms of, like, what's behind the mask, the answer is both, like, human and tactile, but also, like, has a touch of, like, Clive Barker to it in a way that I found made these characters both, like, not necessarily supernatural, but still kind of inhuman. And like I really appreciate the the line that they walked um, in in that uh, in that regard. 
Um, there is a, there's definitely like a, you know, a capital B like backstory with, with one of the characters and about how like she grew up in a haunted house. To me, like when you talk about like the gun on the mantle, like I kind of thought that that's almost where you were heading with this, but I, mm. I see what you're saying about the boyfriend. But there's also this story about the troubled household that one of our, that our protagonists, I guess, grew up in that ultimately to me, like they tried really hard to make it pay off in terms of, you know, how she ultimately deals with our antagonists and like to me like it didn't really connect at the end of the day it felt like an attempt to just like flesh out a character's backstory which don't get me wrong like credit where credit's due like you get points for attempting to like flesh out your character's backstory so it's like i, I can't i can't necessarily knock them on that you know i'd say this is sort of like non-groundbreaking horror like by the numbers and like the strangers mold very much like the opposite of invasion and like, you know but like well executed like i, I like this movie it's funny you say that, and I, I can kick it over to Vic by with this transition. Uh, Rich, you weren't on our last show, show, unfortunately, when we discussed Terrifier, and Vic and I went back and forth pretty hard about character backstory and whether it helped or hurt, and you know whether if the choice was you know knowing that, as I put it, ninety percent of these movies do not hit that out of the park, where they just like handle it beautifully and it brings so much psychological depth and thematic resonance to the table um instead you just kind of have somebody you know going through the obligatory motions well we need to give her it's almost always a her in these movies a backstory so that the character has some weight and texture but most of the time it's not it doesn't pay off it it may not even be value-added now, I'll say before I, I want to know what Vic thinks in this case, I think it was okay here, but an, definitely an afterthought. Vic, what did you think? Yes, I agree. I like that they gave her some depth, and, and they definitely made an attempt to pull it together into the story. It just didn't work. What occurred to me is that it's very much the same character arc that you get in M. Night Shyamalan Split, but it just doesn't come together in the, the, the as well as it does there. I, I actually quite like that movie. Oh, me too. But I do think that, that that arc is an interesting one to insert into a movie like this. So I appreciated that. But I also noted that part of what that particular backstory does is keep this movie from being fun. I had this thought that this movie exists sort of in relief against Hellfest. Hellfest doesn't have much character development either, although, I again, there's, there's lots of things that I like about that, and there's lots of things that I like about this. But what Hellfest had was this exuberance of horror fans who are excited to be in this horrific environment, and that was something that really connected with me personally. Whereas this just feels very dour and and doesn't have any of that exuberance and so i appreciate it from sort of a, a technical craft perspective but it doesn't it didn't connect with me in any sort of personal way in the way that hellfest did also it would, it would be an interesting matchup by the way if somehow those two films were head to head like that would have been perfect if we had managed it <laughs> it's true it's true uh i also want to say that sam the abusive boyfriend joins uh dick halloran and the brother from funhouse in the arms race for the most pointless B story in a horror movie. <laughs> yeah. I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that. There should be a, when we have our like awards season, 
there should be like a Halloran award for the uh, for the most useless <laughs> character. I will immediately make a note of that, Rich. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, just a couple random thoughts or questions for you guys. So, was one of the haunt guys stalking the main girl in the beginning, or did he just happen to be there? But like early, like at the bar, she clearly sees the dude in the red, doesn't she? Did you guys pick that pick up on that? There's something about the way that that was shot where I couldn't quite tell what I was what I was looking at. Like the shot was like a very like a sort of point of view going from both directions, shooting through a gate. And I actually right. got I know exactly what you're talking about, and I got like visually disoriented watching it. So I actually don't know. And and if that was the, the point of how they did that, then it worked. But I I am not totally sure. But that was definitely the implication was that someone was watching her. And if so. I guess your point being, like, why was that person Right. Doesn't that change everything? If he was there, doesn't that take a lot of the randomness out of the situation? Wasn't he just passing out flyers? Isn't that where they find the flyer? Oh. So it's kind of like a demon's thing. Right. Oh, by the way, um, the guy passing out flyers and demons, the director, Miguel Suave, the director of another film in our, our tournament... Stage fright. Stage, Stage fright. fright. Yes, he is in. Very briefly, he's in Tenebra. I didn't mention that before, but I wanted to. So the other thing that, well, okay, two things. I think Rich mentioned in some other pod about a different movie, Tom and Andy doing score. They did the score here, and I like their music. I but, do like Tom, and Andy, but, mm-hmm. and, but no, I think you're thinking of the guy that did Maniac. I can't remember what his name was. Something similar. He had a similar sounding name. Yeah. Well, I think these guys did, if nothing else, I know off the top of my head that they did the Hills Have Eyes remake. But anyway, it didn't like, it's not like an amazing score. It just struck me that, oh, these guys, you know, pop up again. But more interesting is the killer's weird body modification thing, which you touched on. What did you think of that, Vic? Like the idea, like there's something about in this movie... The definition of a mask, it's put to very creepy effect when the guy talks about removing her mask. And of course, she's not wearing a mask, so that doesn't bode well for her face. But these killers are, you know, changing. They're literally wearing masks over faces that don't need masks, (laughs) to put it simply, as far as being scary. And it's like, I, I don't know much about like the culture of this, like how real it is how far people really go. I, I know enough to know that it's not it's not completely made up and fantastical. So I guess I land on that being like one of the more chilling elements of this movie that I feel like movies should be doing more with, but I haven't seen it to date. I thought it was very cool. One of the notes that I made actually was there's a there's a line and I, I don't think this will qualify as a spoiler, but there's a there's a character who says they told me I had to help them or they would ruin my face. Which, once you have the context of what they start to look like under the mask, you start to go, holy shit, like, yeah, I would do some, <laughs> I would do some pretty <laughs> awful shit if somebody told me those were my options. Are you talking about uh, Mitch? <laughs> Mitch? No, actually, it's not oh, Mitch. Oh, no? Okay. No. Well, Mitch is but, the helpful haunted house employee that Rich mentioned earlier. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. No, this is a this is a different this is a different character. But mm-hmm. what I found interesting about that, because we get part of what I love, I think they really play the backstory on these characters perfectly. Right? That like mm-hmm. you said, it's you get this thing of the body modification and through the dialogue you start to sort of understand them. They never really answer that mystery of who are these people and why are they doing this. And that one line to me introduced the idea of do people get like, is this something that they voluntarily do or is this something they do to you? And then what choice do you have except to join this troop? Wow. Like once once you've been, you know, mutilated. It's interesting. I don't don't know if I follow your logic. Like once you get mutilated, like haven't the stakes been lifted? Like then it's like, what else are they going to do to you? Well, but here you're among friends. Here you're among people who look like you. You can go be a monster in the rest of the world or help us. We think you're beautiful. I don't know. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, I can see it both ways. I see Rich's point, but also at the same time, once you're like that, you've got to take community where you can find it acceptance where you can find it you could see a a prequel or a sequel to this film very easily that would delve more into the bad guys and i i think that could be really fucking interesting i i don't i've never heard that that might be on the table with these screenwriters i just saw tonight that they didn't expect to to sell or see made either a quiet place or haunt which is just kind of hilarious the kind of effort and investment you put into a screenplay and to do two things that clearly deserve to be made and then you know just be pleasantly surprised that it happened i mean that certainly speaks to the difficulty of making it in in this business but i wanted to touch on on mitch really quick i I found it interesting and funny how terrible the characters are to to mitch the helpful haunted house employee like they're alternately threatening and mocking to him I didn't expect them to trust him, but in what scenario is berating him and being belligerent going to help them out of this mess? Mitch is the one who is like the first guy to like help them, right? Who's like wearing like the skull mask or whatever. He's the guy that like is going to go through the tunnel with them and stuff, and he ends up outside with the heavy set guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay, all right. Because there are two helpful. Because there's two helpful employees. I can't remember what the, what the second guy is, yeah. but Mitch was the first. Okay. Sorry. Was that the guy you were talking about, though? The guy I'm mentioning, Mitch? I was talk- I'm, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about Mitch, yeah. I'm okay. The guy that like, yeah. wears a mask for most of his performance. Yeah, his delivery, I agree, was, was fantastic. Like, he has just such a eerie harmlessness. It's uh-huh. just played perfectly. Later, when he's, he's talking about his face, he says, It's a work in progress, but I think you're going to like it. It's just chilling. It's great. I do want to pivot. We, we haven't talked about Tenebrae at all. It's legitimately hard to compare these two movies to each other. Like, honestly, like, mm-hmm. I don't even like, have a vote figured out because they're so fundamentally different. And I wouldn't say, like, I have, a, like, an extremely strong feeling about either of them. Tenebrae, like, I feel like what you had to say about it made me like the movie more than watching the movie did itself. And I didn't have anything against this film, like I said, I came into this competition not having seen any Argento films, and now that I've seen several of them, thanks to this competition, the one thing that strikes me is how similar, at least the ones that I've seen are. I mean, this one certainly, in, uh, and, uh, and Deep Red, 
have a lot of parallels in terms of it just being like the plot in essence is being an artist like paired with a woman working in some context with the police who can't figure out a murder and like he's just kind of like pulled into it so like it has this sort of like pot boiler kind of like quality to it um i did feel like of all of argento's films like i found the music to be the least offensive here but also maybe also like the, the least adventurous pick your poison in terms of how you feel about that you know there's definitely some occasionally nauseating camera work which i found is like par for the course at least in terms of these argento films uh, that there's always like some point where his like camera work is threatening to make you uh, throw up, especially somewhere in the, the first act where he's trying to introduce a bunch of characters. I definitely noted the same kill or injury, or whatever you want to call it, uh, that you noted, but that, that Quentin Tarantino had pointed out. I had not heard that before about Tarantino, but my note was definitely that the the arm wound is a hundred percent worth the price of admission for this movie. <laughs> Definitely is the is the high water mark of this of this film and one of the more memorable kills I think of this uh, this particular uh, competition. I still just have a hard time rectifying these films with slashers. They still feel so who done it in nature. They're just who done it with gore, and like I can understand how they ended up here, but they always feel like a little out of place to me this movie ends with really just like a straight up like bold-faced confession which feels like more like a suspense whodunit film than anything else and i will say that like while again while i don't have anything like against this movie in terms of argento films in the context of this competition at least opera was weird like this film didn't feel very weird and your analysis and the stuff that you're pointing out maybe evoke some things, some subtleties that I missed necessarily watching it for the first time. But like my feeling in, in watching it just on the surface was that it felt like a very straightforward, someone's killing people, I'm trying to figure out who it is kind of storyline. And that to me like wasn't especially gripping. I'm surprised that, that, that weird would not be a word that you would use, honestly. I mean, I guess by comparison in some ways... It's it's more conventional, but I mean, like I think objectively, and when you really drill into the details, it's pretty fucking weird. But but I I, I see your point, Vic. What do you? Yeah, talk about Tenebrae, man. What did you think of it? I have no idea what you think of this movie. I liked the hook in this of the the writer whose book seems to be inspiring a killer. The pages stuffed in the mouth of the victims and and that kind of stuff. I don't know. I once that. Once I settled into what was happening there, I, I, I sort of liked it. Narratively, especially, in fact, compared to something like Deep Red or, or Opera, especially, I thought this narrative played, played out in a way that was much more satisfying to me than those other films. I mean, it's a little... Yeah. I, I still think of what we've watched. Opera is the, the one that I sort of prefer just because there's this layer of it playing out at this operatic level and taking place in an opera house. And I, I don't know, that that stuff all sort of works to me to make it feel more cohesive, I guess, than something like this. I love, Rich, I, that you said, like, eventually, you know, there's going to be some Argento-like camera work that makes you feel sort of nauseous. My exact line in my notes is, Argento's going to Argento. 
long, self-conscious takes set to organ-heavy techno. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> prog rock. Yeah. That's a song lyric, Vic. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of both alluded to it, but I, I, maybe I'm on an island here. But I think that scene where she puts on the record, because this is what this this voluptuous lesbian woman listens to in her home. I, I, I think she's bi, John. Okay, yes, you're right, you're right, yes, she's bi. But she's in a lesbian relationship, yeah. But anyway, yeah, uh, she, she, she hooks up with a guy before this. She puts a record down on the turntable. <laughs> she's playing this, I get it's disco-influenced, uh, synthesizer-heavy... By the way, apparently this the soundtrack for this was played in clubs after its release in Italy, which kind of makes me happy because this theme that the song that she plays is top three for me of all Argento, Goblin, whatever uh, Italian horror movie music. And then the camera, three day shoot with this camera moving around on scaffolding prowling the walls and windows of this entire building while this music plays just peering in it's not really it's not truly even purporting to be the killer's point of view but it's just the yeah it just kind of captures the vulnerability of these people that this building provides them no protection either from eyes or something more violent than that and while the tension is just kind of steadily building with this percussive, fast-paced music, and I just have always thought, like, that sequence stands out to me. And apparently, like, in reading the Wikipedia, this is, is, this is a scene that is regarded, while it may be style for style's sake and not have a lot of narrative substance to it, thematic substance beyond what I've already said. Just... In an Argento film, John? I don't, <laughs> I don't believe that. Right, right. But, I mean, you guys kind of are both seem to be comparing it to opera unfavorably. And the only thing in opera that I think compares, you know, even close to this is, of course, the scene with the, the ravens, the crows, in the opera house when they're flying around and we're swooping over the heads of the audience members. And, yeah, just for my money, this is the more iconic, memorable, dynamic, fun to watch scene. I love that, don't get me wrong, but I think like once you in my in my book, if you start comparing these two movies, uh, Tenebra wins. It does. And it, you can just go point by point by point. I wouldn't argue with that. Like I said, I from a narrative perspective, I think this is the strongest of the Argento films. Again, I think that in the competition, stylistically the the opera aspect of opera just sort of gives it another layer but this is a this is a really strong movie i n made a note of this and i know we we've talked about the the some of the the kills and stuff i feel like this movie has more nudity and less gore than a lot of the other argento films is yeah. that something you guys uh, noticed yeah i actually read on the wikipedia which checks out as far as my anecdotal experience of watching these films, that this is his most overtly sexual movie. It's not subtextual so much in this movie as textual. And I think that that not only makes it interesting among his filmography, I think it kind of cuts to the chase a little bit. As I was kind of alluding to in my introduction, 
and and really like takes head on the idea of the vulnerability and the kind of link linkage between sexuality and vulnerability and the desire the you know the mad desire to possess and control those that sexuality that these movies like across the board slasher movies are glancingly or overtly dealing with that well this movie i think is one of the more overt to deal with it but not in a clumsy way i think it it makes sense especially because the movie is about deconstructing narratives and how they approach these very issues you know it's like it it, honestly it's meta (laughs) for lack of a better term one last thing that i just i can't stop I can't leave this episode without mentioning is that for me, when that dog chases that girl almost out of nowhere, like what the fuck is this dog? Like, why is it so savage? But that's the catalyst that drives her onto the property of a house where she's going to be in even more danger. I just, that whole set piece is so well filmed and so just breathlessly visceral and weird, and the locations are so interesting. That whole house is so burned into my brain, like that pool in the background, uh, in the backyard, and the glass walls, and the multi-leveled foyer on the inside of it. That just This movie just is striking. It just gives you visuals and scenes that are dynamic and, and, and crazy and weird when she's cramming the pictures, the evidence that she's going to take out of there into her pockets and then is fleeing back across the backyard trying to get to this fence and then starts throwing the pictures back at the killer, like hoping, I don't know, somehow that will get her out of it. This is one of those scenes and one of those movies that delivers stuff that other movies don't have and that are just, it's a stylish film. It's a film that you would always say that about Argento, but I I think this one is some of his best formalistic work and his best narrative work because, yeah, usually that's not a strength. Yeah. I mean, John, I have a a note that is is Argento addressing his own criticism of sexism in his films, which really is sort of meta in the fact that I I think that that does sort of jump out. And I did have a note here that just says impressive jumping by the dog. Uh, yeah. I mean, really, that dog, that's, that's, that's single take me. That's not special effects. That dog jumps over some super high shit. It was I remarkable. About, I have a note about exceptional dog acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, agreed. The dog, the dog definitely makes an impression. One last thing. I, I felt like half the movie was from somebody's POV, even when it's not, which just lends itself to a really dynamic roving camera. I'm curious first, Rich, how are you going to vote here, man? Any any final thoughts, questions, or are you just ready to cast your vote? I find your readings of Argento films more interesting than I find the films themselves. Thanks. <laughs> would I be, would I want to watch Tenebrae again? Here's the thing is that like we voted, if, if memory serves me correctly, we voted opera in. No. I think. Opera's gone. We did not? No, opera's no. gone. You, Rich, you talked me out of it and That's back right. into That's Maniac right. 2012, and now I'm kind of regretting it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Uh, that, wait, 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 we could, we could debate that later. 
And then we did by we did vote deep red in, right? Deep red by a thin margin got one more round. Yeah. I'd say like I would take this one over deep red. That's my fault for not for not having watched both of them in advance. Do I want to watch both of them again? No. Well, you may not if have only to. There was some way to get deep red out of the competition <laughs> and get Ted in. Um, Gee, I wonder. Vic, Vic, thoughts? I don't know. Like, uh, here's the thing. <laughs> you I can let Vic love... weigh in first. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I'll, I'll just say, like, real quick. It's like I, I liked Haunt, and I felt like ambivalent about Tenebrae, but like, I didn't like love Haunt. I was like, this is this is fine. Yeah, I agreed. Halloween, I would 100 percent turn on Haunt again. Like, I would not discourage anyone from watching it. But like, am I going to like really remember it and like tell people like you got to see this? Like, no, probably not. But I'm not going to do that with Tenebrae either. Honestly, I feel kind of the same. I mean, I agree that I think I like Tenebrae better than Deep Red initially. But John, I mean, Deep Red is so well regarded and John is so insistent on its greatness that I, I'm kind of willing to give it another uh, uh, fresh, and by fresh, I mean stoned look. Yes, um, as I as I prescribed for both of you. you. As you prescribed by Dr. <laughs> John. Um, <laughs> yeah. My kind of short answer is that I'm not terribly excited about watching either of these again. John, what do you, 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 you cast a vote. Put, push okay. Yeah. yeah. Ma maybe I can help. Yeah. Maybe yeah, I can you help. For, you put both of these in the competition. <laughs> Apparently I did. I swear to God, Rich, I remember when this name popped up on somebody's list, not mine. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah, that movie. I, I, I distinctly remember that, but who knows? Here's my take on it from a 10,000-foot view. I like both of these movies. I think both of them merit further conversation. I think these are not the, the, the two least interesting movies in our tournament by a long shot. I think if either of them advance, we can profitably delve deeper into them, first off. So we can't go wrong. Adding to that, though... Haunt is more about little nitpicks and nuances and, oh, you know, like, I'll just give you, I'll burn an example right now. There's some funny lines, like when the guy's picking the lock and he's like, you know, the other guy's like, hurry up. And he's like, I'm not Robert De Niro in Heat. Okay, well, that was a grace note. But, like, you can't really sink your teeth into anything about what the movie's trying trying to do. And it's not, like, quirky enough <laughs> to be, like, just filled with conversation starters. Not to say that we couldn't, like, delve deeper into more speculation about these bad guys or whatever. It'd be fine. I do think Tenebrae, it is closer to Friday the 13th Part 2 in that it's kind of, like, cutting into the seminal main, the wellspring of what I think... Maybe Rich and I should hash this out at some point, but, like, this whole Giallo versus Slasher conversation... I think it's much, I think like they're closer than anything else is how I see it. Yes, it's, Giallo is a cousin of the prototypical slasher movie, but they're in the family. And I think a lot of slasher movies took a lot of cues from Giallo films. So it, yeah, maybe it's not a cousin, it's the uncle. It's the uncle of slasher movies. And so I think like as far as like the psychology of the antagonist, Tenebrae, the slasher antagonist psychology, it's all there. Like some of the most rich and interesting comments on the archetype that we see play out across all these all these films. 
so for that reason, I I just I think it's it's a it's a tastier, heavier meal. Whereas I think Haunt is more of a of an appetizer. That said, if you're not really hungry for that meal, you know I'm not going to crucify you <laughs> on the crucifix. Yeah, but also. I just want to point out, we have some specials, and the specials tonight are Italian-style. <laughs> I just want to see how far we can carry this metaphor. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> it's more the rigatoni <laughs> than the linguine. <laughs> um, I would have called, I would have gone instead of appetizer, said a snack. Haunt is a snack. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, yeah. like I'm, I'm willing to accept your analysis that Tenebrae is a meal, even if I didn't necessarily want to digest it. it. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, I think for the sake of like putting this forward, I feel like I fell into the same trap with Deep Red as well, is that uh, I'll vote for Tenebrae. All right. And by the way, Rich, you can get high for Tenebrae too. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Maybe I'll do it as a double feature. Vic, uh, it's decided, but did, did my commentary push you one way or the other? I mean, it, it sounds like you're saying Tenebrae sort of has has bigger ideas that it's wrestling with yes. than something like Haunt. Yeah, sort of like, like New Nightmare. It's fine. Oh, <laughs> I guess I, I have wish... to give you a touche on that one. <laughs> Dear listeners, I wish you could have seen John's face when, his... <laughs> when I said that. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, I felt that. I felt that. Yeah, that's pretty... I think it's I think it's more of an antipasto than it is uh, a meal, but I do think it, it's probably going to be a little more satisfying on second viewing than Haunt. No disrespect, I definitely enjoyed Haunt. Yeah, I will uh, we'll make it a clean sweep for Tenable. Yeah, and my Bettendorf brothers, I wish you the very best. You guys are awesome. Okay, like they're listening to this. Yeah, but anyway. Let's call it there because I know that we need to release these episodes in digestible pieces. So we're going to end this episode and we'll be back next time for a very exciting show in which we right some wrongs, handle some films we've discussed in the past, some we've never done. Let's try to get the best, most interesting movies in the field. It's going to be a fun conversation, a fun vote. Looking forward to sharing it with you soon. Adios!